1: 1212 one, two, in the place to be. It's Ooh. the Baker B O Y Z. We're in the place right here. Oh. Rainbow
0: Radio is going down. What did you say, Rainbow Radio? Oh, wait. <laughs> Yo, Casper Mattress is changing the mattress industry. They're not only making a better bed to help you get a good night's sleep, but they're also making it so you can just click to buy. You don't have to go to the showroom and deal with the shady salesmen trying to hustle you. And if you don't like it, Uh, You have 100 nights to try it out in your own home with free shipping and returns. So it's it's a great mattress. Try it out. Join the mattress revolution. I think I just coined that term. It's a sleepy revolution. But it's a revolution of well-rested people. For a great night's sleep, go to Casper.com. Use the code RADIO. That's just for listeners of Rebel Radio. And you get $50 towards the purchase of your mattress. Casper.com, code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. Rebel Radio is brought to you by LegalZoom. I got good news for you. LegalZoom can help you save time and money during National Small Business Month. For those of you that are starting businesses, you want to start a business, you got a business, use LegalZoom. It has tools available, NDAs, lease agreements, any, any legal form you can pretty much think of You get a three-month trial of QuickBooks Online, accounting software, domain name through web.com at no extra charge. All that stuff is available to you through LegalZoom.com. There's a business legal plan where you can get legal advice for your business from independent attorneys licensed in 48 states. And since LegalZoom is not a law firm, you pay a low monthly fee instead of outrageous legal bills. So save time and money starting and running your business. Right now during National Small Business Month at LegalZoom.com. Don't forget to enter Rebel in the referral box at checkout so that Rebel Radio gets our credit for sending you there. Appreciate that. LegalZoom.com. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio. Very special episode today is part one of a two parter with my man, Victor DuPlay. If you don't know Victor, he's our first Grammy nominee. As far as I know, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe we've had a whole bunch of Grammy folks on here that I didn't know about. But, but Victor's a great DJ. He's uh, an amazing producer, kind of in the soulful electronica genre. He's um, he throws one of my favorite parties, Kiss and Grind. If you're ever in LA for a Kiss and Grind event, you definitely want to get out to that. And you know, he's he's part of that Philly crew. Came up with Jazzy Jeff. Questlove, James Poyser from The Roots, and he's worked with everybody from America Badu to Earth, Wind & Fire to King Britt. He's got some great stories about the old days in Philly. And, you know, when I think about Victor, the word that comes to mind is fearless. He's going to tell us how he got to be so fearless and how that's played out in his life. And like I said, this is going to be part one of a uh, two-parter, so If you like it make sure you come back next week and and hear the rest of it we're going to get into the interview we also have a special bonus interview with neil parikh who's the chief operating officer of casper mattresses we got a couple snippets um coming in our next episodes with some special insights into how casper is blowing up as a as a startup and the lessons that we can learn from them as well And right now we got the EDM.com track of the week. So let's hear that before we get into the interview. That's our edm.com track of the week. That was Cappy with a track called Should Have Been. I like that song, and I think you're gonna like this interview with Victor DuPlay. Check it out. Well, thanks for coming to do this, man. I appreciate it.
1: Oh, no problem.
0: It's uh, I am I'm excited to dig in. Like, you know, I'm doing my research and learning stuff about you that I didn't even know. Yeah, so that's, that's cool, man.
1: Maybe you remind me of some stuff, right? Cool. Pull some skeletons out
0: <laughs> well dude so I want you know I want to get into it we always kind of like to go back to the the very beginning but um but first of all you know I'm excited to have you here and uh you know I saw one of the things I learned is that you were Grammy nominated mm-hmm. I think you're our first Grammy nominee on the show oh nice this is exciting that's Big time. Uh, It is. It's big for us. (laughs) So we're stepping up here. So Mm -hmm. it's a good time for that. Um, But that was for Make a Baby, right? Yeah.
1: We can make a pain.
0: And, um the list of people that you work with is like forever. We could take the whole hour, yeah, just lifting off names, but you know everybody from America, Badu, Earth Wind and Fire, Jazzanova, King Brit, yeah, a lot of lot of artists,
1: yeah, some new ones now, too.
0: Yeah, so I want to hear about that, yeah um, but like I said, you know, take me back to the beginning, and I know you played music as a kid, mm-hmm. so how did how did you first like how did you first get into music? Um, you know, the
1: simplest answer is that my mother's a music teacher, mm-hmm. so I, I wasn't a person who was looking at this this interesting lifestyle and saying, oh, I want to do that. It was like sure. music was always around. I didn't know yeah. any different.
0: How, how old were you when you first started performing? Uh,
1: you know, I wasn't really into the performance aspect of it for a long time. You know, I, I liked to play around with the piano and, and fake write songs or whatever sing thing melodies off the top of my head yeah my mom was encouraging me to be in in touring choirs and things like that as a little boy so that's
0: like what age uh
1: i think that's like third or fourth grade or something like Mm -hmm. that where you start getting maybe fifth grade yeah you really start getting into those those um touring ensembles and Mm -hmm. things like that and um i never wanted to be the soloist i never wanted to be the one um, taking a lead in the choir, I never right. I wasn't attracted to any of that, but yeah. I did like the experience of being involved in music, and um, having the opportunity to be in in operas and th- and big productions like that. I was in an opera with Pavarotti as a young boy. Wow! And I remember that that was a that was a really profound experience, just because the the opera is such an amazing thing, you know the trapdoors and. You know, all all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes is like mind blowing for a little boy. Mm-hmm. Let alone you're on stage and you're singing. Like, that's cool and you have right. to make up. But yeah. it's then you, you go in this trap door and it's like this maze underneath the, the, uh, the theater. And it's like, wow, this is better than breaking
0: into a warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is, that's crazy. Some other stuff I would be doing. <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> for sure. So, what kind of music was going on? At- around your house was it like was it opera or what classical my yeah. mother was a uh
1: she's a piano player uh piano and bass player but mostly she played classical uh piano at mm-hmm. home so sonically i wasn't introduced to mainstream music in the house and it's not because my mom wasn't hip or she wasn't into it it's mm-hmm. just that just wasn't really she wasn't there. She had a different thing. Hadn't yeah, it was like her so. Life. When were
0: you? So how did you discover popular music? Do you remember the first record that you bought, or the first record that like stands out to you? You know, I think it was.
1: You know, the James Brown thing was, in Michael Jackson, of course, because mm-hmm. they kind of transcended radio, when you could see them on TV uh, at that time. Uh, the reruns of the Jackson Five show was really big for me and my friends. Yeah, <clears throat> and and then uh, I have to say the first album I remember is Earth, Wind, and Fire. That's the Way of the World, and I mm-hmm. think it was because for some reason that was one of the rare pop albums that actually came into the house mm. that everybody talked about. stevie wonders um songs in the key of life interesting so i think at that time is when i became a little bit more uh, aware of this other kind of sound Mm -hmm. yeah but then my older cousins my 10 15 years older cousins were really into this um emerging fm radio thing like P-Funk and all that stuff was on the radio mm-hmm. and they would buy these records and they would play them with these hi-fi systems and I was fascinated with the way they looked. You know, I always, t- I always tell people it wasn't the sound that got me into the, those things. It was like me sneaking in my older cousin's room and looking at his Playboy magazines and the only thing I really liked was this, damn, look at this sound system. <laughs> the well, hi-fi. Yeah, look at yeah. this yacht. You know, yeah. <laughs> I was really into that. Sure. I was fascinated by that and it just so happened that when when I saw them use that stuff, the sound was just as impressive. It was really clear. And, you know, the big speakers that we mm-hmm. had back in the day all over the place, it was always yeah. a warm, full, clear hi-fi thing. Mm-hmm. I think that was that's really what set me on the path of discovery. Um, and in Philly, there's a radio station, WDAS. Uh, they played very long versions of songs. Mm-hmm. So they would play... Um, up, um, knee Deep by George Clinton and, and Funkadelic, but they would play like the 15 minute version, right. you know? yeah. And you would just sure. sit at your radio and just listen to every single bar of that song, just fascinated by mm-hmm. the, the the you know the nuances. Um, so I think that to me that was the beginning, and at the same time, in the in the neighborhoods, the block party thing was mm-hmm. starting to emerge. Um, and I was really young. So, I couldn't go to nightclubs, but block parties and skating rinks yeah, is where that was like the icing on the cake. Did you skate? I skated a bit. I wasn't great, mm-hmm. but again, I was really, really young, so it was kind of like, right. that's just what we did. Let's yeah, go yeah, to the skating sure. rink or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. But it was the block parties, man, that I was fascinated with. The, the stacks of speakers up as high as a house and uh, you know, the mood, the vibe—you know—that got me.
0: Check this out. You know, we're excited to have Casper Mattress as a sponsor on Rebel Radio. I think the bed is really dope, super comfortable. And the more I'm learning about the company, I think they're dope too. They're—they're they're revolutionizing the mattress industry instead of going to the showroom and having to deal with salespeople and all their uh, their hustle, you can just go online and order a mattress. It comes to your house in a, uh, they squish it down into like this tiny box so it's easy to carry, move around in your house or whatever and, um, and it's uh, super comfortable and, and it gets you a great night's sleep. They're winning all kind of awards. It was named one of the best inventions for last year by Time Magazine, and they're adding new products all the time, like now sheets and pillows. They have some crazy new pillow technology. I didn't even know there was pillow technology. I used to just sleep on a cardboard box, and now I'm, I'm just sleeping all the way through the night. They ship free, and uh, you can try it in your home for 100 nights. If you don't like it, they'll pick it up and give you a full refund. But You're probably going to like it. So for a guaranteed great night's sleep, choose the leader in the mattress revolution. That's real. Go to Casper.com, use the code RADIO, get $50 towards the purchase of your mattress. Just for listeners of Rebel Radio. That's Casper.com, use the code RADIO and get $50 off the purchase of your mattress. Casper.com, terms and conditions apply.
1: Do you remember and, your first block party? I don't remember my first block party, per se. I just remember the era. Hmm. um, And just going, because it's, it, it's not an uncommon thing in Philly. Block parties yeah, in the sure. summer. You sure. Know, that's, when it gets hot, that's what it is. You don't go to the park, because the park right. isn't all, I mean, everybody does go to the park. There's a lot of parks in Philly, but you don't have to go to the park, because you just <laughs> put a rope on your block and turn the uh-huh. fire hydrant on. <laughs> Yeah. And there you have a recreation center right yeah. there, you know um that's kind of the street culture and um you know back in the day the the giant sound systems was a big big part of mm-hmm. the culture too and and that really sucked me in mm-hmm. to figure that out and that that's i fell in love with being a street d j that was the thing that I love the most out of the touring um being a musician, a vocalist, and choirs and stuff like that. I got lost in the 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 DJ culture. So how how'd you start DJing? Um a older cousin or a friend of the family who I called a cousin, uh, used to always be DJing in his window. Uh when I would come home from school and I kept watching him, I just walked by. Mm mm-hmm. and, and I just one day I said, Man, you gotta show me how to do that, you know? And um he taught me a style which in Philly was the style at the time, it would be two turntables on one side, on the right side, and the mixer over here. Okay. And it, it was... Uh, like stacked? Stacked up? No, just did it together. Just side by side? Side by side, and mm-hmm. the mixer on the left. Okay. So you basically are using your strong hand to, mm-hmm. to activate the, the platter, you mm-hmm. know? And... Uh, before that I was trying to figure out how to scratch and I was using my mother's component system. Like, you know, and I was tearing up every yeah, record in the mess house.
0: Messing up the needles and Messing up and the all. needles, scratching yeah. up all the records.
1: Uh-huh. Um luckily she didn't really use the records, so she didn't even know. You I know? got a bunch of records in my crates that are all torn up. <laughs> yeah. from... Uh so that was that was um me, i, I learned I, that actually was good for me because i learned how to use those things they were so sensitive that you yeah. basically tapped it and it would shake yeah right? so i learned how to be very light-handed and but uh back in the day 1200s were like you had to have a really rich friend yeah. or something to yeah, use a 1200 so i was reach. using belt drive turntables and <laughs> You would you would scratch and it would go, so you had to learn how to deal with that, yeah. and it helped me in that space. So I I sounded as if I was on twelve hundreds, even on those belt drives, and mm-hmm. so that me building a reputation as a DJ as a young guy was like, it's stuff it's, it always sounds so smooth, it's real even. Um, and uh, after my 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 older cousin Lorenzo Penn, who actually ended up being the first manager for Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince, okay, um. Showed me that. Then I just kind of went off on my own in, in the neighborhood, and mm-hmm. my friends bought these turntables. They would call my friend Bernie bought these turntables called Dalco Runners. I don't even know oh, if that's wow. a brand. Yeah, I know. I, know I just that. it was so specific because I also I also got a job at a record store that was making speakers. So I was building speakers. Oh wow! And um, you know, selling gear. I was the stock boy uh-huh. at, at a, a legendary place in Philly called Funko Mart. Um and that's where I was buying my records and getting all my gear mm-hmm. by working in the store. Mm-hmm. Um and we we you were just tearing up the neighborhood with these Dalco runners. Yeah. <laughs> like thirty nine ninety nine sale wow. yeah. turntables or something like that, right? Straight arm. Yeah. It was it was craziness. And um <clears throat> I just built the reputation as like the the best DJ, the best pound for, pound for pound or baby DJ or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it, because mm-hmm. it's like there was tears, there was the Jazzy Jeffs and Cosmic Kevs and all these other DJs that were really famous in Philly.
0: So Jeff was already big at the time.
1: Jeff was on the rise. Je- <clears throat> okay. Philly is territorial, so even though it's a, a relatively, um, it's, I'm not going to say it's a small city in comparison to other cities, but it's compact. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people in a, in a relatively small area, <clears throat> but um, if you're from if you're from West Philly, back in the day, you and even to, to some degree now, you don't go to another neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It just do- doesn't really operate like right. that. It's not like one love in North Philly, or uh-huh. it was very much like they could tell where you were by your haircut or the type of jeans you wore, okay. or those kinds of things, and it yeah. would most likely end up in some type of drama. Sure. <clears throat> so um, Cosmic Kev, there were two really, really popular DJs at the time. Cosmic Kev is a DJ that everybody wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made the most tapes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We all had Cosmic Kev tapes. We all were trying to be Cosmic Kev. And Grandmaster Nell, Cosmic Kev came from the northwest part of the city, uh, Germantown, Mount Airy. And Cosmic Kev came, I mean, and Graham Asanel was from South Philly. Okay. Um, South Philly is an interesting part of the city because that's where the mafia, the actual mm-hmm. mafia exists. Mm-hmm. So everything around South Philly is kind of attached to mafia culture. Yeah. So even if you're black or Asian or whatever, a lot of the mafia-isms mm-hmm. for all the other kinds of mafias sure. were born in that part of town because, you know, I went to school down there and you would literally see the remnants of a, a mass shooting or a a house being blown up and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So when I watch the Sopranos, it's not funny to me. It's like, that's not funny (laughs) because there were moments where some black limos pulled up to the school for fun, you know, Mm -hmm. to chase us kids out of, you know, the Mm -hmm. little Italian gangster boys or whatever. That's a whole nother story. But the, um, the As the city Start As the hip hop Things start to grow Jazzy Jeff Was the first one That had 1200s He mm-hmm. he owned them I don't, I don't even remember How Jeff got them um, If he bought them Or one of his boys Bought them I don't know But it made The combination Of how good he was And the fact that he had 1200s The right equipment It made it, It's like It pushed the culture Like so So far forward Yeah Overnight and he became like a rock star. Mm-hmm. This is way before Fresh Prince. This True. is just, I don't know, at this time I'm 13 or something like that. Or so what what year is that? Not to tell on yourself. I don't even remember the year exactly. It's the 80s. Okay. Late 80s or something like, mid-80s. And it was like, they're, they're older than me. So he's mm-hmm. six years, six or seven years older than me. And then his friends that were driving him around were older. Mm-hmm than him mm-hmm. i was hanging with them they didn't know how old i was right i was just kind of quiet yeah and, and i was like a watch and observe and everything you know and i would whenever mm-hmm. i hung with those guys i would basically learn what it took to be at that level and then i would go to the 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 young boys league and be <laughs> a terror right, right, right. <laughs> sure yeah and i started doing every sweet 16 every yeah every um uh I don't know all the different kinds of things oh gym parties high mm-hmm. school parties i mm-hmm. was doing all that stuff and um just made a name for myself in 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 that regard and i know it was a great it was a beautiful time for us because we were so dedicated but it was also very dangerous very volatile a uh, lot of death mm-hmm. and at the time we could talk about it as if it was like um a, an action movie or something mm-hmm. oh so-and-so mm-hmm. got shot yesterday or whatever, but the crack thing was emerging. It was a lot of yeah. our friends doing it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you look back on it, now, I know we have a lot of... We've, we've all been in a state of reflection lately because first there was a wave of a lot of us dying from bullets. Mm-hmm. Now there's a wave of us dying from lack of health care and, um, you know, 37 to 40-year-old people just dying. Yeah. You know shooting sure. themselves and all these kinds of things is happening so mm-hmm. there's another kind of like wow what happened and, and we all managed to escape that because mm-hmm. of you know our connection to music and the art so we are so it's an it's kind of a bittersweet thing but at the time it was great mm-hmm. you know it was yeah like, i mean you're a kid you're not know. it's, it's adventure right. oh man they started shooting at the club last night and we all got home it's great right. Right. you know it was exciting yeah. you know oh, I know who did it. We would know who did it before the cops did. You know, we would even know what it was about before the cops did. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was all a part of the thing. That was all what made it exciting. It it, it taught me to be a better DJ because I really believed that if I didn't do well, somebody was going to get shot Mm -hmm. or stabbed. I really believe that. I I tell Questlove because he works with me sometimes when I do events. Um, You know... It's, it's interesting when I see DJs who don't look at the crowd, mm-hmm. right? Because I understand that there's, a, there's a, a level of perfectionism that people sometimes have. Mm-hmm. But what I don't understand is how you can be so focused on yourself and what you're doing that you don't see that those people are standing still, right. even for three minutes. Yeah. For me, I start to, to stress out, like something's not right. And if they don't, if they stand still long enough, somebody else is going to stand still, mm-hmm. and they're going to get restless, and somebody's going to get shot. I'm always thinking that sure. in my head, even if it's like a a room full of suburban white folks or something like that, who probably aren't thinking about killing each other at all, it's no big deal. They're drunk, they're you right. know, but even still, even that kind of environment, you want to entertain at the highest level.
0: Well, it's funny you say that. Like even you know, in the in the uh, AM documentary that's about to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about like uh, there's one scene where he's like he says to his man in the booth he's like watch this i'm gonna start a fight and he played onyx and he played like some stuff on top of that and and a fight broke out on the dance floor yeah maybe not the most responsible thing to do but you know it definitely is like you can control the people absolutely yeah and you know
1: so those were great lessons for me because um you know there were many times where uh I had to end the party because I had to go home. I was <laughs> I was off. most of my career, my DJ career, I was way under yeah. the age of being outside Shit. past ten o'clock, eleven o'clock, right? Yeah. So You're I was probably not the...
0: supposed to be in the club. Yeah, I'm not supposed You're... to be
1: out <laughs> right. at twelve right. at all. Like I'm supposed to be home in the bed. So yeah. at twelve fifteen is like my limit that I set in my <laughs> mind because I think my mom would start looking for me at twelve thirty probably. She didn't know she... you
0: were DJing, or she knew?
1: She knew that I was DJing. She had no idea of what was going on yeah in the in uh, around us yeah. right um
0: I'm sure she didn't know you were that close to shootings no, and
1: no i mean i i tell her some things now that right i mean cuz some of it i didn't even know what it was so i I've, I've been when you're learning how to dj at that point in time you go wherever there's turntables of course right? and it doesn't matter i've been in basements that had five pit bulls with with dog shit all over the place and you're stepping over it. Right. Just to make sure you get get it in and that you know what I mean? Yeah. Like dusty crates and cat piss and yeah. and basements that don't have any steps and you got to climb down a rope. What all kinds of crazy stuff, right, <laughs> to get to some turntables to 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 have a little battle or something or whatever we yeah. did. <clears throat> and sometimes in those environments there's Big Brother in the back is Selling crack rocks mm-hmm. or uh, pr- pr- prepping his weed, mm-hmm. you know. I don't. I didn't know what that was. Right. I don't know what that mountain of white stuff is. I don't know who those people coming in and out are. I could care less. I'm on these turntables. Yeah. You know, my boys got the mic. We're we're getting it in. We're making a tape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> making mm-hmm. a, yeah, for sure. That's all that mattered. For sure. You know. And, but then when you when you look back on it and you say, damn, that was a that was a potential. Uh, like, murder scene for us. Like, somebody could have come in and shot the spot up, and then sometimes later it did happen. Like, you did hear about somebody getting shot up or that person going down for, um, you know, being a hustler or getting involved with a murder. um, You know, Cool C and all those guys started killing, uh, uh, started robbing banks and Mm -hmm. killed a cop. Mm -hmm. You know, I was practicing with those guys many times, just in the basement, cutting and scratching and rapping. you know. And then one day you look up on the news and, oh damn, the the entire country is trying to find Cool C right now. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm yeah. going to visit some of these people, putting money on the books for them for cigarettes and stuff like that. You don't think about that. Sure. You don't want to tell your mom, because yeah, of course. I don't even think she understands what right. you know, the the how close you are to at that point in time to being in a life or death situation. You don't want to stress her out,
0: you know? So what's so great about that is, like, we sit here now, you know, grown men, and, like, that's crazy. Like, you know, I'm sure, you know, if I called you tomorrow, I'm like, I got a gig for you. You know, you got to climb down a rope and there's going to be, you know, like, you're like, no, I'm like, no, yeah. right? Like, there's no way you would go <laughs> today into those situations. But at the same time, you know, you can look back and say, well, without that, you know, yeah. we probably wouldn't be sitting here today.
1: Well, I think what it does for me and for people like me who have been through that kind of stuff is it allows you to be versatile in in um, stressful moments when things don't go your way. Yeah. Um, I see a lot of people now are prima donnas. Right. So if the writer isn't exact, mm-hmm. they don't want to get on stage or they want to argue with the sound man or they want to. You know, they want to force a promoter to to, to put another fifteen hundred or two thousand on the back line because it's the sub bass isn't right or all that kind of right. stuff. Yeah, I don't. That doesn't stop me from doing my job. Mm-hmm. Right? I'll, if there's something functionally wrong, the turntables are wrong, the CDJs are wrong, the mixer is broken, blah blah blah. Okay, that's one thing. Yeah, but you know, the booth is a little too tight or something like that. No, I'm not going to complain about that and I'm going to try to figure out how to get it done. There's been many times in my own events that I put on, something goes wrong. I can't stop. Mm -hmm. You know, who who am I going to get mad at then? (laughs) Get mad at me? for sure. You know, you dummy. (laughs) Start punching myself. (laughs) You know, a Jim Carrey move. (laughs) No, I'm not going to do that. So it's like, there are a lot of lessons to learn from it um, and I I definitely put them into... My career it's just interesting how the transition from being a street DJ to being a, a, a like a global um, electronica festival um, high-end club thing, that was a really big transition because it was like so easy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, of course. It was course. so
1: easy. It was shocking to my system.
0: Okay, like I said, we got a special edition this week. I got on the phone with Neil Parikh from Casper Mattresses, their chief operating officer, and he's going to give us some insights into how they define their brand in a really crowded market of all these old school mattress companies. Um, So I I asked him, you know, how do they they define the Casper brand and and what sets it apart? And here's what he had to say. And so we didn't set out, you know, trying to necessarily uh... To build a mattress company, and and I think that holds true today. That you know we think of ourselves as more of a brand that's focused on sleep. You know we we started with a mattress, and we spent a year and a half designing pillows and sheets. Um, You know we have a 15-person engineering and design team that's based out in San Francisco. That all they do every day is study the way people are sleeping and how to improve um, people's sleep by working on better products. And so you know. I'd say holistically, it's a lot more than just coming up with a mattress. It's kind of thinking about if we're in a a moment in time where it's not cool to sleep four hours a night anymore, how do we build products that are going to help people actually improve their sleep holistically and have an amazing service experience around it and kind of change people's mindsets. Sure. All right, that was a quick lesson from Neil from caspermattress.com. We got more insights from him coming up in future episodes, so look for that and go to casper.com. Buy a mattress, use our code RADIO, and you'll save $50 off the purchase of a mattress at Casper.com. Now back to our interview. So we just had on the the AJ from Serato, Mm -hmm. the founder. And you know, we talked a lot about whether technology, does it make you a better DJ? Does it make you a worse DJ? Does it, you know, he would sort of argue that like for great DJs, it makes life easier and better, and maybe it for not so great DJs, it makes them able to do something anyway. Yeah. Um, I wonder, you know, you, you know, from DJing on those no name belt drive turntables to all the equipment you have now, you know, obviously it's easier, mm-hmm. not carrying records, not messing with stuff that doesn't work right, but um, but does it make you a better DJ? Um, you know, I don't
1: really think there's one way to answer that question only because, uh, it, it, it really depends on how you learn. Yeah. You know, now for many people who come from the vinyl space, making a transition to CD was a little bit of a challenge, Mm -hmm. not just because of the, um, the, the the technology not being like that being very different from turntables at that time, but just the process of I don't really remember all those records that I play. Mm-hmm. I don't know them by heart. I know where I put them, and I know what they sound like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and for most of my career, even to some degree now, people send me things I don't know what they are. They're you know white labels or they have weird titles. Mm-hmm. You know. So and so might send me this title of this yeah. track, but I don't like that title. I'm never gonna remember that. That's like ridiculous. Or it doesn't mm-hmm. have an artist name on the MP three or what have you. Right. It basically goes into this vortex of stuff, right? So now how, how I put that in a space of um being able to access it at the right moment where I could showcase that song mm-hmm. is a lot more challenging in the digital age for me than it was in the put the star on that white label. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah yeah or that blue piece of tape and those kinds of things so so I know a lot of DJs like me who are are have struggled with the transition of a a certain sonic identity because then what happens is you end up relying on the things that you really know mm-hmm. and that's a nice amount of music but it's it's not really that 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 um that remix that you just heard at the record store yesterday right. that you want yeah. to drop because you know it's hot sure is because sometimes you forget that when right. you go to the club but then when you see that star you're uh-huh. like oh that's the one yeah I'm grab that you know yeah. so figuring out how to do that is challenging but for the person who is starting from scratch and is learning that way and constantly listening to their files and really married to their computers and things like that mm-hmm. they have an incredible amount of tools and resources to um, to present you a slightly different perspective like every day are they better DJs I don't think so and the only reason is because they what they don't have is an understanding of what people like Mm -hmm. it's a very what I like only perspective I think this is hot What I became, what made me a great DJ is like you're saying, what I was saying earlier, understanding that if I didn't play a certain record, if I didn't play a certain rhythm, that party was going to fall apart, Mm -hmm. right? Now it modifies. So as I got older, it was like, if I don't play a certain thing, the women won't move. Mm -hmm. That really became what I I started to do. This is for the ladies, right? And then everything else comes together. Mm -hmm. No matter what kind of music I'm playing, if it's electronica, um, if it's Deep House, drum and bass, whatever, Trap Soul, I'm mm-hmm. playing for the ladies. Mm-hmm. If it's hip hop, I'm playing for the ladies. I, right. I, I will play something that's groovy more uh, versus dark every time, right. unless I I need that energy to spike up and get right. the dudes engaged and yeah. I'll drop something that, like you say, slam, yeah. oh yeah, you know, some dealer or what have you. Now all of a sudden the boys want to pay attention, right. you know, and then sure. get the picture. Yeah. And they start talking to the ladies again, so that's just my that's my narrative that I've created. Other people have a different narrative, yeah. right? Jaddy Jeff has a different narrative. Capri has a different narrative. Uh, Louis Vega, they all all the so-called legendary DJs, Carl Cox mm-hmm. and Derek May, all those guys. I I stood in a DJ booth with Derek May in uh, Portugal one time, and I was watching him. And the thing that was fascinating is that I thought that it was just random techno <laughs> that he was playing. Right. And and he looked at me and said, "Watch what I do. I'm going to confuse these people." Yeah. So he played a track that was like very afro mm. and they stood still uh-huh. like as like, if somebody was banging them in the head with something that they just could not process yeah they stood still for five minutes and then he put on another random techno track and he went yeah right <laughs> that's great he his narrative he understood yeah it was deliberate it wasn't yeah. like a an, an accidental thing and and i think that's partially why club culture is suffering because there aren't a lot of great people telling a story you know and that's why a lot of DJs are having a hard time building a rep where somebody pays money for them you know they're getting baited into what the club owners think Mm -hmm. is dope Mm -hmm. that's that's a trap you know if a guy's telling you you can only get this job if if you play these records this dude who who are you you, you're some cat with a bunch of money from your friends, and you know what these right. people want? Yeah. You're going to tell me that? Well, at that point, you might as well plug in an iPod, right? And that's really what they do. Yeah. They start beating you. They take your price way down mm-hmm. and start, to, instead of DJs making four or $500 a night at a local gig, $10 an hour, right. $15 an hour. Yeah. And they keep finding somebody who's like, I got a hard drive. Uh-huh. I'm ready. Yeah, You know, I can play top 40. Or I can go down the list of the, the charts right. and, and mm-hmm. everybody's happy. And that, that's where I think, not just DJ culture, but nightlife is suffering from the lack of people with a perspective. So, you know, I think there's going to be a transition mm. at a certain point in time because I don't really feel as though people are having fun mm. when they go out unless they're drunk or high. Sure. You know, that wasn't always the case. You know, I know that there's a um, a different type of club now than it was before where selling liquor is a lot a bigger priority
0: Yeah, with bottle service Absolutely
1: Yeah, and they only have two hours basically to do it Right Because they're open at 10, close at 2 mm-hmm. Nobody really shows up till 11, Yeah There's a lot of pressure um, and they cater to the person who is not necessarily sophisticated, mm-hmm. who, who's just coming out for Friday to pick up chicks or to show off or what have you, and that person just wants to hear what's on the radio or what they think is cool. So we got We have a, an era where the non-cool people, the customers and owners alike, are dictating what everybody else should be doing.
0: Yeah, that's funny. You know, I've heard I've heard two theories. So there seems to be some talk about that. You know, nightlife is suffering. Um, and I don't know how much of that is cycles or hard to say, but I've heard two theories lately. One is that it's Tinder because if all you're trying to do is go hook up, you don't, you don't have to go to a club. Mm-hmm. I like you can go just swipe and mm-hmm. find somebody that way. Um, and the other is that it's, uh, festivals
2: mm-hmm.
0: that as there's more and more festivals, um, that people are saving up their money and they're doing that, you know, once every month or two and they're not spending the night out on a Saturday that they were. Yeah. I don't know. I, I
1: think that the the average person right now, the average young person, is, is just not brought up on dancing, mm-hmm. right? So they don't really see the importance of the club, per se, because you know, you could you could do your your whip and your nay nay on your your iPhone in the bathroom, right. and now you're dancing, right? Right. But it, it has nothing to do with being up close mm-hmm. on somebody else or sure. or talking to that person. That culture, that's not their culture. Mm-hmm. They they'll meet and talk wherever. They. I one thing I do admire about the younger person right now, I think their their social interests are more diversified mm. in a certain way. You know, uh, it's not this thing where you're only into this right. and you and your squad only do that. And if you fall out of that, then you're out, you're off the team. Mm-hmm. It's not like that. It's mm-hmm. more like they bring things from different angles and different areas. And there's also a different type of person in play. The, 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 the square is in play now. The square wasn't in play back in the day. Man. Right. You yeah. had, you had to have some level of fly. I yeah. don't, I don't care you know what ethnicity or what culture you come from. You had to be dope mm-hmm. to be in the game, right? To get the honey. To, sure. to, to. Sure. Eat. If you were a woman, you had to be had to have a certain level of, of beauty, you know, and style, and, and all these kinds of things. Now it's it's more like you could be a, a total nerd mm-hmm. and get the cutest girl, <laughs> you know. And and if, yeah. they are doing things that are, um, you know, above and beyond just going out to party. So if we don't have a music that makes you want to dance, we're not creating environments that make you comfortable enough to allow yourself to get to that point. It's uncomfortable for you to go to a club and a guy to stop you in your tracks and tell you, before you can come in here, you have to pay me $750. Yeah. Right? Why would I ever want to go there? Ever? Right. Again. Because... I want to get a model. Ah, uh, I don't know. I'm gonna to go to this cafe in Silver Lake,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I'm gonna post up. Right. With my hipster look, and she's gonna come through and sit next to me.
0: Yeah.
1: That coffee is only five dollars. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then we're gonna go take a walk to a dive bar later. Right. Mm-hmm. We're gonna we're gonna post up at Stella or whatever. You know. hmm the, the 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 idea. Of socializing has modified now. As as, as, as nightlife creators and as event, event creators, we have to figure out a, a niche. Like where do you fit? So I I still feel as though the the person has a lot of fun that comes who who comes out to re, to party and rejoice has a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. That's a fun experience. Sure, you go home saying, "Man, I had a good time." Right, where you go out to a bottle service place, you get drunk, you get hammered, yeah. And while you're doing it, it kind of feels fun, but the next day you feel awful. I don't care if you're 19 years old and you can take a whole gallon of liquor; you feel awful
0: <laughs> the next yeah, day. Yeah, for sure. Right? For sure. But but also, I mean, you know, look, I I uh, I mean, I appreciate you saying that because I've been to Kiss and Grind, which is you know one of your events. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unfortunately, I discovered it too late in my life to really. Be, at, you know? be there all the time yeah because i would be, <laughs> was like so you know i had, i went I just, a few years ago mm-hmm. after i already had a kid and was kind of done with that stage of my life yeah but i walked in there and within two minutes like i knew it was gonna be good because it was you it was uh that was biz mm-hmm. playing that night mm-hmm. so i knew it was gonna be good but but as soon as i walked in i felt the energy that like this is my spot mm-hmm. like and and most of what it was was what you're talking about is that the energy was focused in the middle of the dance floor
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and there was people like doing like you know who were amazing dancers like kind of showing off and doing that thing but then there was also just a lot of people close up to each other Mm -hmm. and you could feel that energy Mm -hmm. and you know that's different than a room playing the same music with a different kind of narrative to use your word right like everybody could be sitting around at tables with the same exact music playing, yeah, and it's not the same thing, and I and and so I felt that, but you know, I think um, you know, you're absolutely right. That's not what everybody is setting out to do now. I think to some extent has always been a subculture. Even you know, I started going to clubs when I was 14, and most of the kids in my class had never been by. Even by the time I graduated high school, they had never been to a club because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they were nerds or they were punk rock kids or they were just right, you know. They would go to concerts a few times a year, but clubbing was just not their thing. So yeah. I think that's always been a subculture. But, you know, like you're saying, the money changes things. And I think generation, generationally, the further we get from that, you know, we're both close to that, <clears throat> that disco era, the era where nightclubbing was kind of invented. Yeah. You know, and, and, um, and I think the further you get from that, just the more it changes.
1: Yeah. I mean, I have an interesting theory uh, I feel that hip hop and um well yeah hip hip hop and hip hop influenced music extended two generations, probably ten to fifteen years longer than they normally would have mm right so you know a lot of a lot of people are hard on trap culture right it's, i I've been honest with myself in the past couple of years after I did the t v show a couple of years ago, um, mastered the mix and spent a lot of time with Kid Capri who up up until that point in time, I kind of, I was aware of him but I didn't really like his style per se. I yeah. wasn't really into it. It was too, too much music in a short period of time mm-hmm. and whatever, too popular I thought. Right. And he said to me, you know, you have a choice um, as you evolve in your career. You could either be a specialist, you could dedicate yourself to being a specialist or you can understand that the people who come out on Friday, Saturday, Saturday night, they're not necessarily looking to be educated. They're mm-hmm. looking to have a good ass time, right? Right from from the from whatever they went through that week or what's going on, and you need to understand the music that you're presenting to them. You have to pay attention to relate to those people, or else you're not going to work. Mm-hmm. And no one ever put it to me that way. You know, it's always been. Old school, new school, right, right, or, sure. yeah. or this is quality, that's trash, right <clears throat> kind of thing. And I started to pay attention, and what I realized is that this this trap thing is one of the, the few things to come out of music in a long time that is based on the human mind, not based on a sample. What's that mean? Meaning, like there are there's musicianship there. Even if it's the same kind of groove, they're mm-hmm. playing, they're putting their own perspective. It's modifying, it's changing. It's not based on a sample. It's not based on the '70s jazz like early hip hop. It's not based on um, '80s regurgitation like the whole Puffy era, mm-hmm. right? So '70s and '80s got extended mm-hmm. into the 2000s, but mm-hmm. then somewhere around the 2000s, you start getting this southern swing right. come. It started, <clears throat> started to come up, and it was very, it was it was uncomfortable for a lot of people. Like, okay, why are you guys dancing to slow songs? <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? That's yeah. what I was always thinking. Well, what sure. the hell is that?
0: But so what's what's when you think of that, like, what records come to your mind? Of,
1: of the transition? Yeah. Well, I blanked out for a long time. I okay. blanked out for the most part of the 2000s. I, I disconnected from it because mm-hmm. I couldn't really, I couldn't relate to what they were saying. It's not even just the track. The tracks are cool. They sound like, like Isley Brothers records or something with rappers on them, you know. Mm-hmm. To me, the, the the kind of swing, mm-hmm. but the the ignorance is hard for me to tolerate. So I, bla- I, I black I blacked that out. Um, but just like now, when I DJ, I, I've started to learn it more understand it. And when you know a song like um, Travis Scott Antidote, that's a good song, mm-hmm. right? I recognize it. That that's a really good song, mm-hmm. and then the people recognize it. That that's a good song. That's their swing. That's hey. what they want. Popping pills is all we know. In the hills is all we know. Don't go through the front door. It's low key at the night show. So don't you open up that window. Don't you let out the inner door. Yeah, party on a Sunday. energy is 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 what's natural to them at this point in time because they've been dealing with you know uh dj Khaled and all those other things that came out before and Mm -hmm. early little wayne and all that kind of stuff right Mm -hmm. that's what that that was their childhood music right right that's 10 years ago or so so now they're at the point where it's deeply ingrained into them the 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 deep house swing or the the boom bap swing is not Right, that's not their music. Yeah, that's something that they heard their big brothers and their moms and pops play. So they know the number one and number two song of Biggie mm-hmm. or 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 pop. They'll mm-hmm. know those songs, but you can't go deep into those albums right. and them celebrating that because it goes their point of reference is gone. Yeah, you know, it's like th- those are the kinds of songs where you play some some uh, tribe called Quest and somebody will come over to you and say, "Could you please play some hip hop?" Right. Right. Yeah. Or you play some, some gang star and somebody say, yo, because you play something with some with a beat to it. Uh-huh. And you're like, what? You know what I mean? That's yeah. the kind of stuff that makes a DJ from another era get pissed. For sure. But the way I always look at it is, if in, in 1989, someone told me that Eric B. and Rakim were whack, I want to fight. Literally. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, that's yeah. like sacrilegious. What are you talking about? Right. That Public Enemy wasn't hot. Yeah. Are you crazy? Rebel without a pause. Like I remember how that song changed the the whole universe. It was almost like a siren went off in the entire world when that record came out. Yeah. You you hardly ever hear that song at all now. Oh yeah. At all like yeah. not even not even once in a
0: while. <laughs> it's there's like a, it didn't even happen. <clears throat> there's a great uh, NPR article. It's on their website, where they have they have this thing once in a while they have an intern review an old record that they've never heard before like a classic record to see what res- resonates with them or something yeah, like so that. Yes, it was like a 20-year-old kid inter- uh, reviews uh takes a nation to millions. Mm-hmm. And he kind of trashes it. He was like I get that this was a big record but it doesn't sound good. It doesn't. He's like I'd rather listen to Drake. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And it, you know it it, it makes you want to fight reading this but also you just kind of get the perspective, right? Is yeah. that like first of all culturally it doesn't mean anything to this kid. Yeah. Because he didn't have that experience that we all had, and secondly, the sounds have changed so much the energy's changed so much I respect early motown yeah. that's not the if you
1: if you give me the top ten song if you give me ten songs to put in my my like non non stop rotation i'm right. not picking an early motown song of course you know so if you if you can kind of look at things from that perspective and and understand that we are not just um Remembering those songs, but we're also attached to those moments. Mm-hmm. Then you have to allow the person now to feel their thing, and and find your place inside of where that is and what's going on. Like so much of this has to do with the personality of the culture. Like you you mentioned that Tinder and all those things play a part in club life, and they do. They play a part in everything. I spent a lot of time talking to the selection kids. Mm-hmm. They're not kids; they're actually adults. Sure, but um, and I watch them and their friends, and I sp- I have they're, they're my friends, and I have friends from that age group, and I'm working with those kind of artists. And the things that are are fascinating to me is that the the acceptance they have of each other yeah. on every level. It feels a lot more like a uh, a new human era in, mm. a, in an interesting way. Yeah. Like, the thing, like, if you watch the news and look at the debates, those people are so far away from what these people are. Yeah. You know? Yeah. This polyamorous, pansexual, super into the arts, super into underground, super into pop, super mm. into fashion, super into not being in fashion, all these things, mm-hmm. they all work for them, you know? Yeah, Where you come from doesn't really matter. What you look, look like doesn't really matter. And somehow, it. everyone else is missing this, you know, but th- meanwhile, they're developing their own stars and their, their own way of socializing. For sure. And a part of it has to do with the fact that they trust each other from the gate. Mm-hmm. That's why the digital communities are so successful because many of them are using them with an open heart. Mm-hmm. You know they're talking to their fans not not expecting it to be somebody who's really trying to get your social security number through right. a back back door on right. your computer right yeah. it's like that's really a person who likes me I'm talking to that person hey I'm going to be in Seattle let's do a meetup mm-hmm. and they go up there and they meet 500 people at a cafe mm-hmm. right older artists don't do that right they're still like the internet oh yeah. my god you sure. know fans why would I talk to fans Come on, I need to be mysterious. Right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right? And and it's a whole it's a whole way of being that's allowing them to have these these fascinating stories like Bryce and Tiller to go from nowhere to being on pop radio mm-hmm. in less than 6 months. Mm-hmm.
2: Right? <laughs>
1: That he keeps on playing games, and it's loving ain't the same. I don't know what to say, but what a shame. If you were mine, you would not get the same. If you were mine, you would top everything. Suicide in the drop, switch your lanes. In That's amazing. And everybody's trying to figure out how to duplicate it, but right. they're missing. It's difficult to duplicate something if you don't really live it. hmm You know? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the, one of the things that's really been amazing to to um, build those relationships um, with. I, I look at them as my younger brothers and sisters to a degree, but they're not really. If I'm in the entertainment industry, they're my peers. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not seventy five, mm-hmm. right? You know what I mean? Yeah. I think one of the great parts about being in L. A. is that when you hang around movie stars in the film industry, they that the film industry operates like a white collar business. And what I mean by that is you don't expect to be done in a white collar business at 40. Right. right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? For sure. That's like the beginning for you. Yeah. Music industry operates like sports where Yeah, you're done. You're done at 26 yeah. or 27. Yeah. Right? And then the and in a lot of cases because you have that expectation, you do burn yourself out. You burn your body out, you burn you, you 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 hate promoters, you hate producers, yeah. <laughs> you hate your label, yeah. you know, you treat your your coworkers and your, your assistants like crap and whatever. So then by the time you get to be thirty, you don't have a you're stuck. Right. You know, you don't have a hit. You don't have any friends. Yeah. And you're on your last dime, you know? And I think that the film business has taught me you have to find the best way to maintain mm-hmm. at a high level. Because God willing, you're going to have a long life, right? so put yourself in the best position to keep doing this and keep evolving yeah. and you know take care of your body, take care of your mind, all these things and, and and nurture your relationships because that person is surely going to be in a position to help you later for or sure. you're you're surely going to need that person for something that you're going to do, you know they can be a supporting character in your role in your show or a producer or whatever or Mm-hmm. All, all different kinds of combinations of things that I've seen and that is what I think we've been suffering through in the music business for a long time is this, this idea that we have
0: to be burnouts yeah. and I just don't believe that anymore. Well, yeah, it's weird. I mean, you know, there's there's definitely this window that you have as as an artist, right? It's certainly, probably more so as an artist than a producer, songwriter, whatever, but if you're up, up front on stage, yeah, right, there's definitely this window and it seems like yeah, you're either your career's dead or you're dead, or you're like best case is that you kind of had your hits and then you get to tour those for the rest of your life and yeah. you get to like put out some new stuff, but it really only goes back to those original fans. Yeah, right. So when you know Cher makes a record now, right, it's for the people that loved her 20 years ago yeah. to keep feeding them, but it but it's not. You know, it's not really operating as an artist where you're you're constantly kind of
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, having that conversation with fans. It's hard to make a hit, though.
1: Yeah. It's hard. I mean, if you get one, it's sure. great, right? Yeah. And if you're like those artists who get 10, 15, 20 hits, that's like
0: unusual. Oh, yeah. It's like. It's unprecedented. It's like lightning. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: for sure. I hope you liked that. I loved it. I thought Victor had so many great things to say. Like I said, so much that we're coming back next week with more from Victor DuPlay. Look for it. Tell a friend. Hit us up on Twitter at Rebel Radio Net. Hit us up on iTunes, Rebel Radio. And find us on Facebook at Rebel Radio. Until next time, I'm out. Hey, Josh, fuck off. (laughs) Fuck you, Josh. I want my dad back, bitch. (laughs)
1: Ha, 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 ha.